Thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast. Head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station. Welcome to Community Connect with Edwina and Greg McHenry. We've started the program up today here on OCRFM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast where we're also streaming live at all the wsocrfm.org.au. I have a slightly different acknowledgement today and it's a it's one that's been handed to me by Uncle Craig who was a Gilligan man of um, Gadabanud country as well and the, it reads a little bit differently from what we've been saying previously and because we are on Gulijan country even though we are broadcasting to Gadabanud country we understand that the traditional owners don't there need to be acknowledged because we are on Gulijan country and so the acknowledgement reads I would like to acknowledge the Gulijan people, the traditional owners of the land we are gathered on today, and pay my respects to their elders, both past and present. And uh, that is all. The emerging and not definite, uh, as, as Uncle Craig explained to me, because we don't know whether they are emerging as elders or not. So it's something for the future that we cannot see. Okay. Okay, that's... Um, a very wise man. So, yeah, good morning, Ed. Good morning, Greg. It's a bit warmer today and the train was good. There was a bit of kerfuffle with people not having their tickets and all that sort of stuff. People wasn't using it? Mikey's to try and get to Colac. Trying to use Mikey's. <laughs> but they got caught out, so look out, people. Yeah, they did. <laughs> yep. We have a guest in the studio today and uh, her name is Naomi Latiri and she's been with us previously. And whereabouts are you from, Naomi? I'm from Anamkara, up, up in here in Colac. Yes, just outside of Colac at Barongarook. At Barongarook. Yes. And we have had you in here previously to talk about Anamkara and sort of other things and Parkinson's. We're going to see you a little bit over the next couple of weeks, aren't we? Yes, yeah, I look forward to it. We've got a lot of things going on at Anamkara at the moment um, and it's Parkinson's Awareness Month coming up in April. Uh, so we've got lots of things going on in relation to Parkinson's um, up there, run by ourselves and the Parkinson's Support Group, which is uh, the Colac, we serves, you know, the Colac and District Region. Okay, now, but you sent me a few little flyers about that, but one, the other one that you included was one about the Cultural Awareness Week or Cultural Diversity Week. Yes. which is what we're basically in here about because you've got a great event coming up. Mm-hmm. What is Cultural Diversity Week? So Cultural Diversity Week is a, a national um, week where we have various, I guess there's various themes that are, uh, are stimulated on a national level. Uh, this year the theme is Curiosity, Conversation and Community. And it's really about, I guess, uh, stimulating conversation and awareness of the importance of our diverse nations that live um, in Australia and in local regions and how we can, for us, and I guess particularly meaningful for us, is how we can be respectful and acknowledge and um, ensure that we, as nurses, are addressing and supporting and um, delivering uh, cultural, culturally sensitive uh, care. Yeah. Now, with culture, it also brings in the question and it's a hot a bit of a hot topic too as it brings in the religious aspect of it as well because a lot of cultural things relate to religion yes that so there's a lot of sensitivities that are coming out in public about that in terms of um well bills that are being mooted and possible legislations going through 
So you've got to take all that into account. Are you being part of the conversation with that? No, I think nurses um, and healthcare professionals and social care professionals are uh, really uh, to be remaining impartial in relation to those sorts of discussions. For us, it's about supporting individual needs, whatever they might be, uh, and for us to put our own personal filters aside and consider the person. Um, each individual person. So no, not on a uh, on any sort of political level. There is no conversation um, or involvement. Uh, but on a professional level, our roles really are to be impartial and respectful and uh, non-discriminatory in our thinking. That's and, wonderful. And that's the way it should be mm. with everyone. Mm. Non-discriminatory totally. Mm. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So why do we have to legislate? It just should be something for the norm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a complex question, isn't it? Because as we were talking just before we come on air, um, there's there's nurture that comes into our life experience and how we're raised and being sure not to use those filters in our professional lives uh, and understanding the true nature of the beauty of culture in our world uh, and how we can support people in recognising their cultural needs is, is really important. Mm. It is. With your people, you've got a diverse mob because the last time we, we had you in here, I've forgotten her name now. Who was oh. the lady that came in? Oh, we had one of our lovely day hospice guests yeah, um, um, who was with us. So Vicky Jack, was Vicky with the, us. Vicky the yeah. original, yeah. Yeah, so she's a wonderful, she comes weekly and she she brings joy with us and shares joy with the rest of the um, participants of the day. Uh, she's a lovely person. You know, a lot to learn from mm. Vicky. She's got a lot to share. She's really a wise person. And so now, as you are, as you do care for people, it is mm. it's a two way. It has to be a two way event, doesn't it? It does. Look, we've got a lot to learn on a daily basis. We're learning all the time, and you know, in my life experience as a nurse, I've come across many different. Um, religious and cultural beliefs. Um, having worked in London for 10 years, the cultural melting pot there is quite significant. Um, and and I learned a tremendous amount and I developed a great respect for na- nations and um, religions that have such beauty um, beyond the ones that I had grown with. Mm. Yeah. And the people behind them. Yes, or the people yes. with them. Yes, the individuals. So it's such beauty within people, isn't there? Mm. And they've got so much to um, share, so much wisdom that comes from their ancestors, that comes from their traditions, that comes from, you know, eons of time, mm. oftentimes. And, and then we've got a, we're lucky because we've got the oldest culture in our country and that's primarily where we're going to be heading with your event that we're going to talk about a little bit later on, mm. which is why we've got, basically, we've got a lot of music coming through from our First Nations people today. Yes. Which yeah. is Nancy Bates, and then I've just chosen one for myself <laughs> that you don't know yet, but I'm going to pick one out for when we <laughs> have our first break. <laughs> the, the the cultural aspect of uh, with our Aboriginal people, our First Nations people, why is that a, a, an important one this year? You had a you had a sort of a, a light got turned on for you by I under, or by someone in, in Amkara, did it? I think our light's been switched on to recognise our local Indigenous community for some time. Um, 
three years ago we had Ebony uh, come out and do a similar, you know, for us to learn more about our local Aboriginal communities. Um, and that was a wonderful thing. And um, I think we're still growing and we're still learning, uh, but we continue to um, embrace and and develop our, our knowledge and want to, want to get to the point where we really have a full-rounded um uh, view, I guess, of what the local needs are. Um, it's important for us to be able to consider all the cultural needs of people within our community. Yeah. And, and how many people in our community are of the First Nations people? Have you any idea? No, we were just talking about that prior to the um, the session starting, and I guess that, that there is a certain unknown quantity about exactly how many people there are in our region. Um, not all people identify necessarily openly um, of being of an indigenous um, background, and so no, that's not we're not exactly sure. But um, being open and available to people of the, our of our local indigenous um, region uh, is important to us. Yeah available and open and that we encourage anyone out there i think um, if you are of aboriginal or you are, don't claim your aboriginality i think it's uh, it's what we're doing because i mean we're proud of you yeah definitely and there's proud. nothing to be hidden no no need to hide no and i think um more and more people really you know there's so much more in the media now isn't there and so much awareness within the general population of the huge amount of wisdom that comes from our Indigenous communities. It was wonderful to see with um, the bush, although the tragedy of the bushfires was enormous, the amount of um, recognition for the way that our Indigenous community managed land mm. um, and the sensible and logical um, ways that the Indigenous people manage land uh, is is something that I think we need to in hindsight and in the fall after the fallout of what happened really think about and really take on board mm. well, we, we know that we were lucky enough Edwin we went up to judge uh, Warung judge Warung country and we met um, met with people up there and they were doing the what what do they call it the the type of burn off it's um, like when you do quilting, Quil uh, what do you call it? Yeah, oh, I can't remember. I forget the terminology. It's something like quilted burning or whatever mm. else. They're already mm. adopting that with um, the Aboriginal locals in that area, and mm. of course they're not all local to the area because of the fact they've been stolen and the rest of it. But they live in the area, and they were, they've been doing that for a long while. Mm. It, it's. I think it was a way that, um, like my father, would. Um, have been involved in that type of land management, but it, it's been lost, I guess, and um, the ch people's thinking changed and there was new thought that came in to the way land was managed. But I think in times gone by, sometimes the way we manage land was based on Indigenous principles, it but it's got, it got lost. Yeah. I think, does money lose it? I mm. mean, the water management, for example, we know that we were lucky enough to visit up north and uh, we met some Aboriginal people up there who laughed when we'd heard that uh, people had said about how rice is not a thirsty crop and also cotton are not thirsty crops and you look at what's happening in the Darling area, Darling River Basin. Mm. Yeah. But they're laughing at tragedy. 
Look, it's, you know, the... Is it white pride? I don't know. I don't know. I think um, really what's important to me, I can only speak to myself, is thinking about people on a compassionate level and not thinking about things on... uh, political and financial level. I'd never make a good politician. No, no. I'm not, not a money maker. You make <laughs> a, you're a wonderful health carer. <laughs> money making is not my scene. I'd much rather um, see a cohesive and compassionate community. <laughs> Which, now, what is NM, I forgot to pick up Anamkara. What does it actually stand for again? Yeah, so it's actually a beautiful term. It means soul friend. So, That's right, soul friend. Mm. I did know that. Yeah. And what, what's been going on out there other than with the people that you've got there? You've got a mixture of people still? Yeah, we've actually got quite a few diverse nations um, added at Anamkara, and we really welcome that. It brings a really, really uh, lovely feel and learning to the to our um, to our our place, so uh, and it's a gorgeous place. We've been out to have a look. Yes, it is a gorgeous place, and it's it's your local community-funded hospice. It's a pretty phenomenal thing that we actually have that in our community, and I'm always very keen to to speak proudly about Anamkara because um, after being away for some time um, from Australia and coming back to this region and seeing, wow, actually Colac has something that is of international standard um, right here in regional Victoria, which is actually the envy of many communities around um, Victoria and Australia. The hospice movement is relatively uh, new in Australia. It's been established for many years in the UK and um, India and very um, diverse nations. New Zealand, our neighbours in New Zealand as well have had hospice more uh, as well established than we have for some time. So uh, to have that in our region is quite groundbreaking and quite um, quite a good and amazing feat by local residents. Mm. And I think we might have to give some uh, kudos here to Diane Wright. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely, yes. who was the originator who started up in, in, in Geelong. Yes, she did, yes. And then she was approached by a group of local residents in Colac um, to really propose that we could do something similar in this region Um, and her motivation uh, really was to help establish that in our region and and in in a very visionary way she um, led and continues to lead Anamkara uh, to respond to community need. She's uh, quite a quite a remarkable woman, and 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 well deserving of that uh, title. Yeah. yeah, and the person that she actually worked with, I'm, I know he won't hear this, but I'm going to wish him a happy birthday anyway, because according to my diary, it's Kevin or Father Kevin Dillon's. We call him Kevin. Father Kevin Dillon's seventy sixth birthday today. Yeah. Oh, lovely! Yeah, today. Well, I think he was born in 1944, according to my thing, and it came up on my calendar. Happy birthday, Kevin Dillon. Oh, that's lovely, anyway, yes. We'll be seeing him shortly because we do a bit of work with him still. Oh, good. With the, with the uh, oh, well, Edwina was on the phone when you got here, which is not too untypical of her, is it? <laughs> <laughs> You're on OCRFM 98.3 FM here and 88.7 FM down on the coast. Mm-hmm. And you're on Community Connect with Edwina and Greg McHenry, and we've got Naomi Latiri in here. And we're talking a bit about, we haven't mentioned a lot about Anamkara, but we can really give that a bit of a push too if you want. <laughs> so we're streaming live at all the W's, ocrfm.org.au, and I'll be getting a podcast of this up as soon as we 
possibly can afterwards. And we've got Naomi Latiri here in the studio with us from Anamkara. And you are you're multicultural out there, as you say, Naomi. But how is you you as a health carer? How do you keep a pace with it all and yes, uh, to yeah. be able to, to to handle all the different situations and whatever? Yeah, yeah. There's diverse nat- nations and cultures and religions um, that we can come in touch with and in contact with in our lives as nurses and healthcare professionals. And I suppose um, one of the, the reasons we do run events events like the one we have coming up on the 17th of March is to help our own um, continuing um, knowledge and development of our knowledge uh, in relation to how we uh, respond to our cultural needs in the community. But um, it might be worth us um, sort of reflecting on some of the research too in relation to uh, cultural centred care and I, before I came um, in, for the, in for our interview today I was um, having a further research into some of the literature that's been written and there's a great quote that um, Stephanie Myers Shim um, wrote in a in a article she did in 2010 and, and she says that culture provides context for all healthcare and social services throughout the human lifespan um, and particularly for us because our our uh, focus is uh, people with c- chronic life-limiting illnesses and provision of end-of-life care in a home-like setting in our community and in the region of southwest Victoria, um, improving end-of-life and palliative care and enhancing um, our guests and family outcome. It requires um, a really nuanced understanding of cultural context um, for those who provide care and those who receive it, and and this is something that and Stephanie Meyer Shim has said in her um, article really how important that is uh, to have a, a detailed knowledge, and that might be that we are learning as we go. Sometimes, sometimes we don't always have exposure to every uh, cultural. Uh, background and so it's important for us to to learn and um, be proactive uh, and ensure that before someone comes into our care that we have a full and clear understanding of what their requirements might be. So we do an assessment um, before any of the guests come into our care. We'll sit with um, the guest and their uh, family or uh, their significant other and and have a talk about what their requirements might be. So if they're from a diverse cultural background, we'll have an opportunity to talk to them and listen to what their requirements might be. Do they like to pray? Do they like to uh, have certain times of the day of quiet so they can uh, address their uh, religious um Needs? Do they have certain food requirements? Do they have certain other cultural um, needs that we need to be respectful of while they're in our in our care? And which means you're looking at the family needs in, in total too, aren't you? Yes. Because there are, if people are in palliative, part of that is going through the process of dying. So yes. different cultures have different processes within that transition too. Absolutely. So you've got to in, you incorporate the family in doing that. Absolutely. Yes, they're very much um, welcome and encouraged to be part of the decision-making to provide the person-centred care. So it's essential for us to include anybody that's significant to the person who is unwell is included in their care where the person who is unwell wants them to be, if you know what I mean. So um, it is uh, really uh, family-centred care 
for people that have particular needs or anyone of any walk, of any race, of any religion. That's our goal. We really want to provide um, care that is respectful of all backgrounds, of all diverse backgrounds and needs. Okay, and how many people are you actually accommodating out at Anamkara? I've forgotten. Uh, yes, yeah, so we've, we've actually had some a busy run um, and we're fairly well um, patronised, if that's the word. So we ha- we look after people quite um, quite a lot. My actual statistics that I have are out in front of me right now, but we have had a very busy run. We've got five guest rooms, we have three carers' rooms, um, we run day respite programs, so we're often quite full in terms of our um, our respite and end of life care um, spaces. Uh, we day hospice currently can be accommodated any any day, but uh, at the moment our group day respites uh, days are on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. But if there's a need for respite on other days, we can also provide that and whereabouts are you getting your people from your your people clients yeah well sometimes they're not patients are they what do they call them they're guests guests. because it's a home away from home um out at anamkara and we really want people to feel comfortable in our space we really are respectful of their daily routines as they want them to run rather than as um as we want them to run we like to put people back in control um of their own uh, of their own uh, body uh, instead of um, as as sometimes tends to happen when someone's had a long and uh, a long relationship with hospitals and <laughs> healthcare <laughs> facilities, they tend to be operating around other people's routines rather than their own. So we like to give that control back to people as best we can. So um, remind me of your question, Greg. <laughs> I think I've lost it. No, no, no. It's, it was quite good because you, went, you did. You took me off on a, on a bit of another one as well, <laughs> with with uh, the way people do. We've got an elderly couple live in the units with us, mm. and would you believe both husband and wife are, are in hospital? But she's on one one level; he's on another. Yes. Sadly, he's been in intensive care, oh. and she's you know supposedly recovering on a different mm. floor completely. Mm. That they're both fed up with it. Yeah. And so we had a it's conversation awesome. on the way down here where they're having a respite from each other. Mm-hmm. But we're looking forward to having a cup of tea with them together on Sunday, hopefully. hopefully well, because exactly home. what you're yeah. saying, though, Naomi, is that people... We were talking about the people in... How many you have there in, in respite and mm. whatever else. We were talking about how many people yes. you actually do have... Yes, that's right. Th- ...as you. people in, in Anamkara. Mm. That, yeah, to be able to go there and get away from the hospital thing where... Uh, I, I can mention a name, Beth who's a beautiful lady, she said yesterday, they even wake you up when you've just got to sleep because you've got to do this and you've got and to do that. they jab something in your they jab something. Why can't they just do it gently or something <laughs> and let me sleep through it all? <laughs> oh. Because you're in there and you've got all this going on. Yes, it's tough. And, and you need it? a break from hospital mm-hmm. even. Yes, and look, I've worked in, in acute care for many years and, and I guess... Um, some of those things you feel as nurses, and and they do, they are in, they have to happen <laughs> because if they you're going to. to get better, sometimes those antibiotics do have to be given at two o'clock in the morning, and that temperature does need to be checked. Uh, we can make sure we keep people happy and or not happy so much, but safe and recovering. Yeah. However, um, 
you it know, having a, a rest is so restorative and it can be so <laughs> frustrating for the people that are getting poked and prodded in the middle of the night. We've got some lovely outcomes and stories though from Madam Cara where we've been able to, when we've had that sort of relationship of a, a, someone being the carer and someone receiving care and a partnership, a husband and wife or the like. So we had one scenario where um, our fellow had eye surgery and um, he was the carer for his wife and... Um, she had her own needs as well, um, being chronically unwell. So we accommodated them both. So they both come out and stayed with <laughs> us at the same time. So they both had an opportunity to have a rest and recover and recuperate or have a break, you know, and have a change of scenery. So we're very flexible in the types of care that we do provide. But we might have to get their daughter to come to you because she's, <laughs> she's been having to look after them. It's the holiday. So it is, it's, a, it's a great world we live mm. in, but Places like Anamkara are, are such a necessity, really. Yeah, and we're here for the carer as well as the people receive, person receiving care because we recognise the importance of the carer having a break and yeah. having a change, you know, so not to take away the responsibility of caring for that person for a period of time is incredibly restorative for that person delivering the care, yeah, be it of a family or friend. Or. Now, what qualifies you to do it? You've made mention about being overseas for a number of years or whatever. Mm. So why, why are you in this area and what were you doing overseas running away from Australia? Were you trying to get a different <laughs> visa or something? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, life has that funny way of taking you off on a bit of a journey, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, I went overseas in... Um, well, it would have been 13 years ago. I had been a couple of times before that, um, but we went over to just have a bit of a change of scenery and a bit of a look around. We actually sort of planned more of a holiday versus a permanent change, but as it turned out, uh, we kind of enjoyed it and ended up staying. <laughs> so it wasn't really so much a planned let's go for 10 years or anything like that. It was more... Actually, this is quite nice and different, so let's uh, stay. Whereabouts were you? Uh, so um, my husband's of an Italian descent, so um, we spent eight months in Italy and um, stayed with his family in the south of Italy and um, had an interesting time working in um, my husband's family's supermarket and things like that. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. <laughs> and then uh, we moved to Ireland and we lived in Ireland in eight, for eight months. It mm -hmm. seemed to be something about eight months. <laughs> and then um, we sort of really needed to be working. So mm. um, I applied for a job in London and um, it was with a private hospital in central London and I had a phone interview and I uh, got the job and so then we packed up everything and moved to London. So wow. I worked for um, five years uh, in, the, well I worked for the whole time, 10 years with the same company. First five years we lived in London and then the second five years we lived an hour and a half from London. Mm. Okay, and so what's the healthcare like over there compared to here? And what, especially in age, did that give you the the grounding then for you to be into this type of care? Uh, so my background's oncology and hematology nursing. I've had a real passion for that field. I really enjoyed. Um, whilst it is very challenging and sometimes quite difficult, uh, I enjoyed building relationships with people beyond 
going in and out for a day procedure or coming in for surgery and heading off and never seeing them again. Um, I enjoyed supporting people through that whole process of treatment, um, hopefully through to cure. So I I really did enjoy that. However, you know, palliative care was always a part of that. Um, And so I'd worked in the public sector in Australia and then I moved to the private sector in the UK and I learned a lot about... um, the difference between the types of service and actually how much more I had to learn about um, respecting people's needs and they were quite um, more obvious in the private sector versus Mm. the public sector. Um, So that was really good, a really good experience. And um, I met diverse nations. I met a lot of people from the Middle East, um, from uh, Greece, Italy. I worked with nurses from all over the world. So I sort of ended up in management mm-hmm. roles within that hospital. Um, I was the head of clinical services for adult inpatients. Uh, and in my nursing, um, in the in the range of nurses, there was probably only one English nurse. The rest mm-hmm. were from other nations. Uh, so that was very interesting to me. I learned a lot um, about not only the nationalities of nurses and the way they did things, <laughs> but also the nations that I was caring um, involved with the care of, um, and that was quite quite amazing. Jewish um, religions, uh, Muslim religions. I just mm-hmm. found it fascinating, and I just felt like I knew so little. Who interviewed for you, the, you for the job at Anamkara? Because uh, you've got it. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I got introduced to um, Anamkara through a friend who um, was working there at the time, uh, a lovely person by the name of Liz Gore. Uh, I hadn't really known... I had heard a little bit about Anamkara before and people had told me it was a wonderful place, but I'd never been. Uh, so when um, Liz brought me out to Anamkara, I was really taken aback that this was actually um, in the community and I was really moved to help support um, Anamkara grow and be known and be accessible to all people that had the opportunity. If I'd been able to deliver care in that sort of environment in an acute hospital setting, uh, you know, you just... <laughs> It's just much more difficult. You know, nurses do their very best um, to provide good end-of-life care for people in an acute hospital setting, but it is so much easier to do that and so much nicer for the person that's receiving care when it's a beautiful, tranquil, peaceful and inviting space for them to be, not just for the person who is chronically unwell or is dying but for the people that support that person so you know to witness the beauty of someone being able to prepare a family meal at Anamkara and enjoy that family meal together but whilst their loved one is chronically or very close to the end of life um, in our space is just you know as it should be as it Mm. should be that you are able to still nourish your loved one if that's what you want to do um Mm. in an in a space outside of your home um so i just think i was really motivated to be involved with anamkara because it was doing something anamkara does something that needs to be done in every community Mm. and you know whether it be in 
in Colac in the southwest of Victoria, or whether it be every 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 town to a certain extent, or every city should have a, its own community-funded hospice. Mm. You were, you were meant to be there. Yes, I think Diane always says that um, Anamkara draws people to it, the right people come to it, and I suppose, mm. you know, uh, we're a small team. We're, we're and I just think that we need to embrace the end stage of life because it is still life, and mm. to have that support would just be wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, we're still learning. We, we don't do it well as people, and we're still learning, and I just think that's invaluable, mm. your... Um, life away from here and experiencing all those things must have been just brilliant. Yes, it, mm. it was. But I still learn every day, every yeah. day. And I think we've got to, I think, um, acknowledging that in any any environment, wherever you are, there's always something to learn and never to lose that curiosity yes. about learning um, yeah. is a really important thing. Dying with so dignity. True. One yeah. thing I think I'd like to mention here too is... Um, Something that I know you're an advocate for is uh, advanced care planning. Yes, yes. So you know, maybe you don't know, the advanced care planning week is coming up actually towards the end of um, March and that's something that we're working on um, raising awareness around during that week. We'll be doing a few things via Facebook and there's some wonderful stuff that's being produced out there. We have... um, a document that we utilise for people to complete for an advanced care directive, now which is better, really you just let people know what simple. it is, though, because I've just dropped it on you. So oh, yeah, yeah. So sorry, advanced yeah. care planning. I suppose there's two terms that are associated with it. So advanced care planning is really writing down what your thoughts and what your wishes are in relation to your end of life care. So questions like, if you were... Now, these are difficult questions to think about. I acknowledge absolutely. And I'm probably talking about a slightly taboo subject in some ways for for some people. However, it's important to think about some of these things. So say, for instance, if you were to have a stroke and you were unable to speak, uh, do uh, do you want to be fed if you can't feed yourself? Do you want to have a tube inserted in your tummy and receive artificial feeding? These are the sorts of things that you can write down in an advanced care plan. If, for instance, you had developed um, cancer and your cancer was uh, metastatic, which means it's secondary, it's got secondary cancers in other parts of your body and your prognosis is poor and you were told you only had three months to live, would you want to have active treatment or not? And these are all things that you can write down in an advanced care plan. Um, And that becomes your advanced care directive. And people often describe doing an advanced care plan or directive as an act of love because Mm. you are taking away the pressure of that decision for someone who maybe doesn't know um, exactly what your wishes are for the end of life. So, you know... you can be you can be together and know someone your entire life. It could be your mother, father, it could be your partner or your close friend and you're the person that they turn to for support, but not know what they want that's, at the end of that's life. That's right. And I think it's really good because if someone has the say on what they want at the end stage of their lives, um, it helps all the siblings of the family know that this is what they want instead of thinking, well, what are we going to do here? And also have their own personal filters. So one person might think, well, this is what I think 
mum or dad wants. Yeah. But another person thinks, well, no, this is what I think mm. mum or dad wants. If mum or dad say what they want, that takes away so much potential conflict in situations. Mm. I actually did it with my mother before she died. Um, we did a program on air in Geelong and it was wonderful. And when... When I got back home and had a couple with mum, she said, that was a fabulous program. Can you take me to do my advanced care plan? And I just said, I'd love to. So mum had all the say. Someone Mum couldn't write because she had something akin to Parkinson's and her little hand shook. And the woman there was wonderful, helped us both, helped mum write down what she wanted. And... Mm. Uh, it was a blessing because mum had a stroke at home and went to hospital. Um, no surgery because she was aged and she... It was basically inoperable, She I think. was inoperable and she passed away in the hospital. So all her needs were taken care of from her care plan. Mm. was brilliant yeah it's i think it's and and well done to you mm. for doing that with mum and i think i think it's it's great that people when they do complete the test takes away that level of stress for the person who is the decision maker mm. Mm. Um, who is the appointed person to advocate the needs of that individual um, if you want to know more about advanced care planning there's um, decision assist um, that can provide some information on advanced care planning and directives. There's also a document called Take Control, which is produced by the Office of the Public Advocate, which is very, very detailed, um, which provides information about advanced, doing an advanced care plan, um, appointing a medical power of attorney um, and financial powers of attorney and all those sorts of things. But um, also, if you want some one-on-one -on -one sort of support, we can help as well just wor work through um, our advanced care plan and help um, people and families complete one uh, with one of our trained um, advanced care planners. Well, we can give you a call then. I'll give you a phone number out, eh? That's yeah. how we do that. 5233 8203. That's it, yes. 5233 8203. You're on Community Connect with Edwina and Greg McHenry. We've got Naomi Latourian here from Anamkara House here in Colac. And we're talking about a lot of stuff, but uh, it's all primarily based around, well, cultural congruence is the word that is being used for this forum that is well, not a forum a bit of a conversation coming up with an event in the not too distant future that we'll talk about before we go back on to autopilot at midday you're on 98.3 and 88.7 fm along the coast we're streaming live at all the wsocrfm.org.au it's not too late to do your your advanced care plan and directive and whatever else but the number for that we'll give that once again before we now find out what's going to be happening for this week the number for that to ring up about it and for anything else to do with Anam Cara is 5233-8203 and they've got a lovely website too it's Anamkara House Colac or one word dot org dot au you can get on there and find out a lot of stuff as well yes there's heaps of resources on there and and describes all our services, which we haven't really covered all today, but we've got a, such a diverse range of services. I know. Well, you've got a minute to run through each one of them, if you like, or do we want to get onto what's happening with it? Because you've got Dr. Hung. I actually checked out the pronunciation, and we talked about that beforehand, that Dr. Hung Tae Nguyen is going to be coming in for what is called a cultural congruence in healthcare. 
Yes. A little bit of a yarn that you guys got organised. Yeah. What's it about? Yeah, so that's happening on um, Tuesday the 17th of March. It starts at 1pm. Uh, he'll talk for 45 minutes and we'll have just a little bit of time for questions after that. Um, and then we'll have some afternoon tea provided as well for those people that want to stay on. So really it's aimed at people that are either working in health or social care um, fields, uh, maybe volunteers, they may be paid staff, um, but it's really to... Uh, help um, support healthcare professionals to care for people of all nations in regional Victoria. We look after people in the whole of southwest of Victoria. So this invitation's been extended to um, our friends down in through from Warrnambool right through to Geelong, um, working in health and social care fields that we're aware of. So if you know of anyone that's working in those spaces that you think might be interested in uh, joining the event, they're very welcome to get in touch. Um, Dr. Hung is a, uh, a GP and a cultural educator and he's based in Melbourne and really the event's aimed at um, people working in healthcare as I said. Um, so really we're hoping that uh, him coming along to uh, provide us with some education in relation to cultural congruence will be able to develop a greater understanding of the extent of cultural diversity in regional Australia um, and provide information about the cultural-based needs of people with a life-limiting illness, in, um, in particular and, and Indigenous um, members of the community. Uh, so really, that, that's sort of a synopsis, I guess, of what we've got going on. If you'd like to come, you can... RSVP to us on a landline on 0352338203 as you alluded to before Greg um, you can also hop on Facebook you'll see the event on Facebook um, on our Everything's on Facebook, Facebook page yeah, so you look up Anamkara Colac and you'll find us on Facebook uh, you can re- also respond to the event there um, Yeah, or you can contact me on my email which is liaison at Anamkara House Colac Org.au. And one of the big ones about it, and I've read the spiel as well, that the effective communication is such a, an important part of it. Yes, uh, yeah. it's a massive part of it because really communicating in a culturally sensitive way um, helps us uh, provide effective care and, and provide care that people feel they're f- supported in every way, I guess. Really, when you think about look, we're, we're caring for the whole person. I guess we, our our goal really is to provide whole holistic care. And we're not just talking about the physical mm-hmm. elements of care, the emotional, psychological, um, spiritual, and very much the cultural element of their needs is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now we'll that that is on again. That's on the seventeenth. So once again, you can mention that. But you just your respite and everything else. If you want to find out more about Anamkara and the stuff that we didn't get to talk about today. We're going to have to get you back in again (laughs) and we'll have a little bit of a chat afterwards about what we're going to be talking about with what we mentioned at the beginning of the program about um, coming up with some Parkinson stuff Mm -hmm. that's on the move. Do you want to give us a quick one on that one as to some of the... Yeah, we've got some great things happening. We've got a very active Parkinson support group in our region. There's uh, 25 people on the mailing list. They're very active. Um, we have uh, meetings once a month, on the usually on the fourth Friday of the month, uh, and we cover a diverse range of topics. I'm, I um, sort of 
organise what I'm told to organise. So they're a very active group. So in uh, April for, for Parkinson's Awareness Week, there is an Insight 2020. So it's called Insight into PD or Parkinson's Disease 2020. It's an online conference. It runs from the 1st to the 3rd of April. However, the local Parkinson's support group have paid a subscription to uh, stream it for 30 days. So we've got an event on the 3rd where we'll stream some of the live conference. Um, that's in on the afternoon of the 3rd of April. And then again on the 17th of April, we've got uh, another streaming of some of the sessions. So these are international experts in Parkinson's disease. They're quite, it's quite a remarkable opportunity. If you uh, want to know more about Parkinson's disease, if you have a family member that has Parkinson's disease, if you have Parkinson's disease yourself, um, please uh, feel free to reach out to Anamkara. We'd very much welcome you to come along and listen and have the opportunity to be exposed to that information. You may also be, again, working in healthcare but want to increase your awareness about Parkinson's disease. It's a great opportunity to do that for free and, and, and listen to world-class experts on the subject. Okay, we will be talking about that further with with you with yourself, Naomi, and we don't know who else, but we'll always get someone else to come and talk about Parkinson's. We'll be doing that, but it won't be next week because next week we've got Nikki Wall, who's a mate of ours. She's going to be coming in, and I'm not sure she's going to bring someone else with her as well. We're going to be talking about World Bipolar Day because Nikki has been talking with us about things such as that for many, many years, and she's bipolar herself. I'd like to thank you, Naomi, once again for being here with us, and we will be with you again soon. And you too, thank Edwina, you. for your wonderful assistance and smile. <laughs> and we will be back with you again. It's been Greg McHenry, and I'll talk to you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast. Head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station.